0: You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, aren't you glad and happy for the grace of Jesus? Father, thank you so much for the grace of God that forgives and transforms and redeems. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, as we dive into 1 John today, Lord, I pray that you would open our heart and, uh, Lord, for what it means to walk and to follow in that redemption, God, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, last week we wrapped up a series called Redemption and we talked about what that video is actually talking about. How God can take anybody, anyone from any circumstance, from any past, with any situation and redeem and change through the grace of Jesus Christ. Today, uh, we're going to begin a series called Moment of Truth. And what we're going to do is we're going to go verse by verse through the book of 1 John. A little t- It's not really a book. Actually, the New Testament isn't books, they're letters. They're letters from uh, friends to friends. They're letters from apostles to uh, disciples. They are letters uh, from one person sharing to a group of people and encouraging them in their walk with God. They're letters. So when we think of the New Testament, when you think of the Bible for the most part, but definitely the New Testament, it is letters. And today we're going to look at a little tiny letter, it's very small. In fact, if you were to go home and read it tonight, you'd read it probably in about 20, 30 minutes. We're going to look at the letter of 1 John, but we're going to unpack this letter verse by verse. Now, I don't know if you guys remember, but a few years ago, there was a, a, a quite a controversial TV show called Moment of Truth, the Moment of Truth. Anybody remember that TV show? It was on Fox because Fox does outlandish, crazy shows that usually get canceled after about a year. Uh, the Moment of Truth is basically they take people and they ask them questions before the show um, with a lie detector test about every conceivable personal question about their life, about their love life, about their, their family, as you could possibly imagine. And then they bring them out on the stage, and out of the hundreds of questions they ask them, they ask them select questions and if they answer the question truth according to the lie detector, because they hook them back up to another lie detector, and they they if they answer truthfully to how they answered before, then they get money. And each question gets harder and harder. And as they ask each question, they keep bringing different friends and family up on the stage and on the platform to sit to where they have to basically tell the truth about personal things in life in front of their family. Now I, who's ever seen that show? Come on now. It is one of those, (laughs) it's a horrible show you can't turn your way, your eyes away from. It's like a, it's like a car crash. You're just, you wanted to change the channel because it's a terrible, terrible concept, but it's so compelling to see if people are going to tell the truth about some of the most horrible things that you could imagine. What if there was a lie detector test for our spiritual life? What if we could hook ourselves up to a machine and ask ourselves a series of questions that would determine if we're truly a a follower of Christ or if we are a fake or if we're bogus or genuine? Well, that's what the book or the letter of 1 John is. 1 John is written by the Apostle John. The Apostle John was the absolute closest earthly friend that Jesus had while he walked on this planet. He was with Jesus from the time he began his ministry from beginning and all the way to the end. He was the only one to be at the cross, and he's the only one out of all the disciples that that, uh, the ancient manuscripts tell us that even lived to be an old man. All the rest were martyred. So this is a pretty special person, John is. And basically, John is writing a series of 10 spiritual test questions. And what we're going to do over the course of the next several weeks is we're going to look at about two questions a week. Scattered throughout 22 different verses, we're going to see what John says is a genuine or a fake. You see, a lot of people say a lot of things about Christians. In fact, in 1996, there was a 15% unfavorable view of Christians. That means 15% of the American population In the 90s, didn't like Christians. Now, let's uh, fast forward a decade plus. And just a few years ago, they took the same study, same question, and they found that 38% of the the American population has an unfavorable view of Christians. That's nearly 40%. That's nearly 4 out of every 10 people. Do not like Christians. Many claim uh, it's because Christians are hypocritical or we're insincere or we're sheltered or we're too political or we're too proud or prideful. We're quick to fault others. Basically, overall, people have an unfavorable view of Christians because, well, we're just not very loving. So, what John does is he, knowing Jesus probably better than any person that ever lived, uh, has written the book or the Gospel of John. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, little tiny letters we're reading 1st John. And he also wrote the letter of Revelation, which was a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor at the time. So he was given, uh, outside the Apostle Paul, the greatest voice from Jesus. And what John does is he unpacks, uh, basically, how he feels about the Christian's At that time, I mean, you got to realize Christians only been around for maybe 20 years at the time that John wrote this letter and Christians were already starting to be fake, already starting to be hypocritical, already showing themselves to be a bit insincere. Many were wandering from the faith. They were leaving some to wonder if Christianity is for real and if Christians are for real. You see, there are a lot of cults that claim that they are Christians, but how can we know maybe we're missing something? Or there are also cultural Christians who say, you know what, I'm born in America, I'm a Texan or whatever, I'm raised in church, I have good values, therefore I am a Christian. Are we missing something? Is there more to this than just thinking or saying that you are one? Well, the purpose of First John was written so that you could tell the difference between a genuine Christian and a bogus Christian. Um Who's a poser and who's real? Who's representing and who's misrepresenting? Pretending or genuine? The thing to remember is that this is not a letter for you to test others, though there's a tendency to do that. This is a letter to test you. You're not hooking somebody else up to this lie detector test. You're hooking yourself up to this lie detector test. Ten questions to ask yourself if you are the real deal or not. John says four times why he was writing this book. Let's take a look at it. He gave it for four reasons. First, John 1.3 says, I'm writing this. We proclaim to you, what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this so that our joy might be complete. We are writing this so that we can know for sure that you are in unity With us a second reason he wrote it for for unity The second reason he wrote it is for the reality of our struggles for reality in 1st John 2 1 he says my dear children I write this letter to you so that you will not sin He says i'm writing this for the reality that giving your life to christ doesn't make you perfect Giving your life to christ doesn't end the struggle, but I want to encourage you So that you don't take the wrong road and that you stay on track Another reason he said he wrote this was not only for unity and for reality, but also for clarity. He says in First John 2.26, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. He says, I'm writing this letter so that you're not misled, so that you can keep on track and know who you are in Christ. He says, for clarity. So he wrote it for unity, for reality, for clarity. And the last thing, he wrote it for security. In 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things for you to believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Guys, I want you to know that you can have a confident, complete assurance that you are right with God. It is possible to know that you know that you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. There doesn't have to be a single doubt in any person's mind in this room whether you are on a track to know the Father or to see the Father as your friend. He says, I'm writing this so that you might know that you have eternal life, so that you may know where you are with God and have a sense of spiritual confidence. So today, we're going to look at two of the ten questions that he asks Who've actually started the journey. He says, but there are those that have never left base camp. Let me explain. I like to go snow skiing. I think it's one of the more exciting, relaxing. It's very spiritual for me. I just something about the sound of the snow, uh, of, going, of just the sound of skis, just going back. Uh, The backside of a mountain, you know, hitting those blues and the blacks where barely anybody's there. And, you know, you can almost just stop and hear snow, you know, piling up on it. It's quite intense. Now, when it comes to skiing, there are those, when I go skiing, who are at the base camp, who are in the – they're at the lodge, and they've got the emblem on the jacket. They've got North Face on the jacket, on their shirts, on their fleece, uh, but they've never left base camp. They've never began the ascent. They never took the journey. They, they, They look the part. They have all the gear, but they've never left. Base camp. Let me translate it. If we were in Texas, it'd be known as the big hats, no cattle guys. They're the guys that have the big trucks, uh, but they never haul anything. They're the guys that have the cowboy hats, but have never ridden a horse or stepped foot on a farm. They're the guys that have all the image, the big hats, but no cattle Christians, the bumper sticker Christians, the Christians who say, I am a Christian, but they've never actually left The base camp. They've never actually set foot on a farm. They've never actually cast a reel and went fishing for men. Guys, today is a challenge for all of us to ask two very simple questions. But before we do, John begins with this. First John chapter 1, verse 1. Here's where we're gonna start. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes. Which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life He starts off by establishing his authority. He says guys i'm not telling you what I think I'm, not telling you what I believe and i'm not telling you about somebody who I have have heard about He says i'm telling you about someone who I have touched who I have hugged, who I have talked to, who I have seen, who I ate meals with. I'm talking to you not about Jesus as if someone told me, but I'm talking to you about Jesus because I personally knew him and know him. He says, we proclaim this concerning that which we have seen and touched with our own hands. Verse 2 says, the life appeared. We have seen it. Talking about Jesus. He appeared. We have seen it. We have seen him and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Again, he's saying, I'm writing this so that we may know that we are truly in fellowship. And don't just take the word of, of anybody, take, take the word of an apostle. He says, I know Jesus. So trust me with what I'm about to say. Guys, listen, I, I'm we're going verse by verse. Let's let John challenge all of us, not as if it's words from Ted, but as if it's words from Christ himself through the Holy Spirit given to John the apostle. In verse five, he jumps in right away with this. He says, this is the message we have heard. From him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And this is what we need to begin with. If if any of us, if any of you in this room want a relationship with God, it's got to begin right here with this. We must never forget that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That means that God is perfect. It means that God It's holy, that God is pure, light of light. You know, whenever the Bible mentions light, we we tend to kind of get confused about what that exactly means because we think literally a flashlight. But you got to realize that light is the absence of darkness. You don't turn on the dark. Dark exists without the light. Christ himself, God is light he is you don't turn on jesus you don't turn on god he is and darkness flees guys listen when he calls god light and he says it again in john 1 in his gospel he's saying this god is light of lights he is perfect he is pure there's not a a, a second a smidgen a small amount there's not a speck a pinch of darkness in him whatsoever He is pure and perfect in all things. And he's saying, if you want to know God, it starts with realizing this, that God is good. He is not just a good guy. He is good. You must know his goodness. If you don't know how good he is, you're headed for spiritual trouble. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve were given this beautiful surrounding, this this great, magnificent place to begin life. And God said, you can do anything you want, except don't eat of this eat of this tree. And it wasn't a magic tree. It was just a tree that would enlighten them to rebellion. It was a tree of knowledge, because when they took a bite of it, it gave them the knowledge of rebellion and sin. And he says, don't eat from that tree. It wasn't a mystical tree. It was a tree that opened their eyes to sin. But the enemy, the serpent, Satan masqueraded as a serpent and he lied to them. And some of the things he said, he said, basically, God is holding out on you. That God is somehow not good. That somehow God's motives are not pure. That somehow God is lying to you. That somehow he began to just cast just the smallest amount of doubt. That somehow God is not always, always, always always good. Guys, listen, if you can't establish in your heart that God is always good, you will have trouble ever finding who He is. Of course, they bought the lie that God was not always good, and they did die that day. They died spiritually, and it all started with doubting God's goodness. I want you to write this down. Doubting His goodness is the first step away from God. It is impossible to continue with God If you doubt that he is good if things don't go the way that you want If you begin to somehow think that god's ways don't work If you begin to question his power and his motives his ways and his agenda If you begin to question whether god has your best in mind Then you're taking strong definitive steps away from god And john says you must get this settled That God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. The flip side is this, knowing that He is good is the first step towards God. John's statement is the starting point for all of us. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God without faith. And then he goes on to say what that means. We think, "What does that mean faith in stuff, or faith in faith, or faith that He is going to do something? No, it's not faith in anything but the fact that God is. Because he goes on to say, it's impossible to please God without faith. And he says, you must believe that he is. What is he? He's good. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Then he gives a series of questions that are spiritual lie detectors. We're going to look at two today. Today, two questions that separate the posers from the from the genuine. Uh As we dive deeper and deeper into 1 John, the questions get more intense and more difficult to answer. So don't miss a single one. Here we go. 1 John 1, 6. Here's the first question. He says, if we claim to have fellowship, that means if someone waves the banner of Jesus and says, I am a Christian and I'm part of the family of God. If someone claims to have fellowship with him, with Jesus, yet walks in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the light. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, meaning we're truly part of God's family. He says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, has purified us, or purified him from all sin. The first question is really pretty simple. It's the morality question. And here's the question, is are you walking in the light? Now, I want you to realize that, as that video says, God takes those that are in the dark. He doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. And this is important to realize. Because what God does is he takes a life and he removes its position out of the darkness and he puts it into the position of light. It is something that Christ does and God does alone. It is not something that we, can, we cannot move our position out of dark into light. It is through the grace, through the decision, through the Christ uh, finished work of the cross in us, applied to us, our position changes from darkness to light. So he says, if God has actually moved you into a new position, then you don't walk in the dark anymore, you walk in the light. Let me put it this way, if you are a true follower of Christ, you walk different, you talk different, you think different. You don't always do the right things, but you're pursuing to do the things of God. He says, here's the question. If someone says they are a Christian, yet they walk in the dark, they are a liar, he says. Because the question is... Am I walking in the light? Simple definition of darkness, that which is widely recognized is wrong. Simple definition of light, that which is widely recognized as good. It's a basic sense of right and wrong. Let's break this down. What is walking in the darkness? Well, things that are a pattern in our life, not a struggle in our life, because there's a difference. Because some people give their life to Christ, and they might struggle for years with a sin or a habit or an issue, but it's a struggle, not a surrender. You see, someone who walks in the dark does not struggle with the dark. They've surrendered to the dark. But someone who walks in the light, they might struggle with the flesh that has been built up with bad habits in their life over the years of not following Christ. And he says, you know what? You don't walk in the dark anymore. When we struggle with something, we are saying it's wrong and we're fighting it. When it's a pattern, we make excuses for it. Because here's the difference. If someone is, is is claiming to be a Christian, yet they live a way that does not reflect Christ, then then that's a telltale sign. Are they fighting it or are they making excuses for it? Because an excuse sounds like this. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. I'm a Christian. I'm forgiven, not perfect. You know, you begin to make, well, you know, we love each other. Or, you know what, we're going to get married. Or, you know, it's a different culture, a different time. Or, you know, I'm just, yeah, I just want to be sincere to myself. I've just, you know, this, this, we make excuses for walking in the dark. But when we walk in the light, the struggle is still there, but we're fighting it. We're not making excuses for it. The deeds of darkness are simple. What are they, the things? They're the things we hide. Think about it. What are the things that are done in the dark. I'm not talking about literally the dark. I'm talking about when no one's around. What do we do in private? What do we do when we pull the shades? The things that we do in the dark, God wants to shed light on. Galatians 5.19, the apostle Paul says to a group of churches in Galatia, he says this. He says, the acts or the actions of the spiritual nature, are obvious. He says, this is what it looks like when someone is walking with God. He says, he gives a list. None of these things uh, are, are what we're excited to tell others that we might do. But he says, this is the actions of someone who's walking in the dark. He says, sexually immoral, impure, a debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And just in case he didn't mention yours, he says, and the like. Can you imagine if you came home to your mom and dad and that was the description of your boyfriend? Or that was the description of your girlfriend? Or that's the description of your new best friend? He says, I warn you, Paul says, as I did before, that those who live like this, who walk like this, if this is a pattern in their life, he says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to be lost. If someone is walking consistently in that kind of life, he says they're not walking in the light of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a Christian myth. And the Christian myth is is that you can live uh, like hell and be a Christian because the Bible says just the opposite of that. That is why John wrote in 1 John one six. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet continually walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Guys, this is not about being perfect. This is about the difference between fighting sin and making excuses for sin. This is the difference between walking in light and letting God shine the light on the dark areas of our life or hiding in the dark and maintaining a lifestyle that we have surrendered to. So you don't just have a relationship with God because you say you do. It's following after Christ in a new way of life. I've used this illustration before. Some of you guys are probably very glad about this. I know all you wives are, but when you got married, um I'm assuming that your husband stopped dating other people, right? I'm ass- if if not then you can give me a call for counseling. Because you've got some problems and, I, and I'm assuming that when that when you guys got married that wives that you stopped dating as well and that and that when you got married, there's just some things that change you don't spend your money the same, you don't stay out till whenever you want to stay out you 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 submit one to another, you walk with each other with humble submission. You stop dating other people. You stop uh, doing a whole lot of things when you get married, not because it's the rules of marriage. I can't go out with other girls anymore. No, You know why you don't? Because it's a response to the love you have for your wife. I know some of you guys, that's exactly how I feel. Guys, listen, when we say no to certain things after we get married, it's because we said yes to our wife and to our husband. We do these things not out of compulsion, but out of love. We walk differently because of love. And John is saying, you know what, when you meet Christ in for real, you walk differently, not out of compulsion, but out of love. You may know all the right answers, but does your life reflect the darkness or the light? Then you might want to rethink that whole relationship with God thing. This is the moment of truth for some of you. The problem is that most of us don't want to believe this when it comes to someone we care about. We make excuses for our children. We make excuses for our parents. We make excuses for our boss and for our friends. But the Bible is clear. The test is not the banner we wave, but the walk we walk. John says, if they claim to be in fellowship, do they walk in the light? Verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If he claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. Here's the second question that we're going to uh, look at real quick today, and it is this spiritual humility question. It's the humility question. That is, do you see yourself as a sinner? See, it's impossible to come to Jesus without recognizing your need for forgiveness. You will never be able to know God until you recognize your need for forgiveness and that you are a sinner. The good news is not you're okay. The good news is not that God loves you no matter what. The good news is not that everything is just gonna be hunky-dory and that God is always positive and good, and he is always good. But he's I tell you what, there's there's a side of God, of God's holiness, that is called judgment. It's his mercy that is extended to us through the cross of Christ, but he's holy, and in him there is no Darkness. We're born dead in sin. We're born in the dark. In Him, there is no darkness. So John asks a very simple question: Are you a sinner? Can you recognize that you have a need for forgiveness? First John one says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not." in us do i see myself as a sinner you see that's not very politically correct it's not very pc to talk about sin you know just 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 be good just be positive just do your best you know just just believe and you it's all good but there's the gospel message is good news because it says we have a forgiver it says we have a redeemer And without the acknowledgement of our sin, there is no good news. It's not life-changing at all. It's actually quite shallow and hollow. But John says, I'm writing so that you realize how much you need him. You want to know if someone is the real deal as a Christian? Can they admit they're a sinner? No one wants to be told that. None of you here wants to think that. We all like to blame it on what happened to us. We, we like to say it's, it's because we, we were raised this way or it's something that our parents did. It's something that, that happened to me when I was a kid. It's our environment. It's what somebody made me do. Nobody wants to admit that we are, you are, I am a sinner. Sinner. See, the definition of sin in the Bible is actually quite simple. It simply means to miss the mark. I want you to imagine uh, an archer who has a target, and he pulls back, and he just can't seem to hit the target. He just keeps missing. That's sin. We've all, Romans says, we've all fallen short of God's glorious target. Guys, every one of us in this room is a sinner. And we cannot know God unless we understand that He is good and that when we do follow Him, our life is different. And then it begins with understanding that we are sinners and have a need for forgiveness. Understand this, sinner does not mean you're a terrible person. It doesn't mean that you're a horrible person. That may be the case, but there's also a lot of people who are sinners who are actually pretty good people. They do pretty nice things, and they can actually be pretty pleasant and loving people. But the sin that is in our life because we're born dead is still there. Sinner equals someone who has willfully violated God's standard, and that we're all guilty. I know I should do this, but I didn't. I know I could have done this, but I didn't. I did this anyway, even though I know I shouldn't have. And again, this is the problem. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. He is holy. He is perfect. Like I said earlier, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. When you buy the myth that you're good enough, when you buy the myth that you, then, then that you have done enough and that you are a good person, then you end up trying to run your own life. And John says, when that happens, you can know for a fact that they bought the lie and they're not God's. See, these two questions pose two responses to two myths that a lot of people believe. And the first myth is this, that I can be a Christian and live like I want to. And myth number two, that we're all good people at our core, which we're not. We see it in our culture. Sin has been redefined. It has been excused. We all get smiling faces and a pat on the back. But it all keeps us many times from actually knowing God. First John 1 John 1.10, he says, If we claim we have sinned, if we claim that we have not sinned, that we're not that bad, we make him out to be a liar, and his words have no place in our lives. We deceive ourselves. You might think, but I'm not hurting anybody, and I do my best. I'm a good person. God understands. These are nice ways of saying you don't think you have a sin problem. Two simple tests today. How are you walking? And how do you view yourself? Two very simple lie detector questions. First John 1 9 says, however, it doesn't end like this. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then he Launches in chapter 2, and this is where I'm going to end today. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My dear children, I write this letter so that you will not sin. And you know, not think, great too late for that. But if anybody does sin, that's all of us. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice or the covering sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ourselves, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, as a Christian, understand this, you will struggle with sin. As a Christian, you will stumble at times doing things that you wish you hadn't done. But thank God we have Jesus who is faithful to forgive us if we would just confess it. See, this is not about judging others, this is about taking a deep look at ourselves on that machine. I want to ask you those two questions as we pray today. How are you walking? Does your life reflect the light? Or do you still continually walk in the darkness? If you're walking in the darkness, moment of truth, maybe you need Jesus. And the second question is very simple. The second question is one that begins it all. Are you a sinner? Can you recognize that you have failed God? Let's pray. I know this is heavy this morning. But God, thank you that your grace is sufficient for any sin and anything we've ever done. God, I thank you, Lord, that, that you do take those that walk in darkness and you remove them from the position of the dark and put them in the position of the light. And, God, I believe there are some people here that were up uh, up to that machine and up to that lie detector test, uh, that machine, and, and, God, they they failed. God, I believe there's people in this room, if they were honest, they failed the test. God, they have been walking in the darkness, claiming to be a Christian, but they are not. And God, there are those here that have uh, joined a religion and chosen to be a Christian or to go to church simply because it collect, uh, connects with the values that they have. But God, they, they've they never recognized their own need for forgiveness. They don't recognize that they're a sinner. God, I pray that you'd help us to see that today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to talk to Jesus right now. I want you to just in your own words acknowledge that he is good he is holy, he is righteous. Thank you, God, for being good. Thank you for loving me. God, you are holy. You are just. You are perfect. You are merciful. God, we sing the praises of how awesome you are when we lift up our hands and our voices to proclaim how good you are and how you are the light of the world. Now I want you to take a moment to talk to God about your sin. Acknowledge, God, I'm a sinner. I have failed. I have stumbled. I have messed up. God, forgive me of my sin. I've been walking in the darkness. My eyes have been blinded to the light. But God, today, I can see. Forgive me of my sin, Jesus confess my sin. Go ahead and talk to Jesus about your sin. Maybe you have a one or two specific sins that you feel like you want to talk to him about. Go ahead and and tell him. God, this is this is my sin. This is my struggle. Forgive me. Now I want to say a prayer for you in this room because you're the stumbler. You're the person who's who's walking in the light the best that you can, and you're fighting the sin and the habits that are controlling your heart, your mind, and your emotions and your actions. You're fighting. You're struggling. God, give them victory. God, give them strength. God, give them courage. God, give them the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the darkness in their life. God, though we stumble, though we struggle, though we will fall, God, if we will confess our sin, God, you're faithful to forgive us. Some of you who are Christians, you've been stumbling in some sin, and you need to talk to Jesus about it right now. You need to say, God, forgive me of my struggle. God, forgive me of this sin. Forgive me of this habit. Forgive me of this situation. Go ahead and talk to Jesus and say, God, forgive me. He is faithful to forgive you. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace that changes even a wretch like me. God, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey guys, as we move forward into First John uh, this month, don't miss one. Uh, go ahead and reread the sections that we go over. And uh, each week in our small groups, they're gonna be unpacking a little bit more of this section from First John. So be sure to be in a small group and bring someone with you next Sunday. We're, you know, we're at a in a movie theater. We don't have a lot of signs. We don't have a big sign on the building or anything. We have very limited exposure. And the, the, the greatest way that we're going to get the word out about what happens here is through your voice. So why don't you bring somebody with you next week, and uh, let's see God transform our lives from the inside out. Amen.